Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God of end, glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Son. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. So, the story so far has been that we put our money where our heart is. So, if you want to know where John's heart is, look at where John puts his money. If you want to know where my money is and where my heart is, look at my visa statement, look at my checkbook. That's where you can find out an honest assessment of where my heart really is. Right? Visa and Amex can tell you more about my spiritual life than my spiritual father probably can. Right? God cares about our hearts more than he cares about our money. And that's why... And that's why God tells us where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because he wants us to be sure that we know where we're putting our heart. God cares mostly about our heart. But secondly, we talked about how we're God's money managers, right? And God has given us this money. He's not gifted it to us. It's not in our uh, possession. We don't own it. But he's given it to us for a period of time to invest it for him. He's given it to us to manage it for him. And so we need to know what we're doing with God's money. And we talked about budgeting and we gave some really specific tools and examples of things like that. The third thing we talked about is if we're going to do what God wants with his money, we have to be free to do that. And the only way we can be free to do that is if we're free of other commitments such as debt. And we talked a lot also about debt and we gave some very specific strategies about getting out of debt, specifically all the debt which is less than half of your gross income. Things like your mortgage and all of that, we're going to talk about that today. And the last thing we talked about, which was just last week, is that giving is the greatest joy. The biggest blessing, the funnest thing to do with money is to give it away or to, or to use it to give away. So when we're talking about that, right, um, we kind of get to, um, you know, the obvious question is, that's really nice and everything uh, like Father John, but money doesn't grow on trees. We could only wish that we had one of these trees in our backyards or in the yard of the church, right? And we could just give out $100 bills to everybody who came to church. What would that do for church attendance, hey? Um, so, but that's not, that's, not, that's not our reality. The reality is, is that money has been given to us or entrusted to us, if you prefer, for a, a specific reason. But we have to uh, have an idea of where it is and what we are, are going to do with it. The gospel today was saying, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Everything in the gospel is telling us that we're to use the created world that God has given us. This created world that God has placed us in, God has placed us in it for a reason. And he has given it to us for a reason so that we can use it to give back to him. So let us set our eyes on the kingdom and see what the kingdom has to say all about 
all about money. Also last week we talked about the shrewd steward from Luke 16. This is a parable a lot of people find difficult to understand. I'll just remind you quickly of the story. A master has, a, has some servants and some, some of the servants go to him and tell him that one of the other servants, his account manager, isn't really managing his accounts honestly. So he pulls him into the office. He says, look, you got 48 hours, get the books together and you're fired. Right? And so what does he do in those 48 hours? He says, hmm, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to mess all, all the accounts up with the, 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 the debtors. Right? So he goes to one, he says, oh, you owe 100 measures of oil, make it 50. Oh, you owe this much wheat, make it 80. And so on and so on. So he, he buys favors for himself, knowing that he's going to be put out of his job. He's going to need somewhere to go. And he says, I'm a, I don't know how to do anything else and I'm ashamed to beg. This is what I'll do. And Jesus actually commends him, not for lying, but for being shrewd and for thinking ahead and for having a plan. And Jesus says, says some words um, that we can really learn from. He tells, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into eternal blessings. Which friends is he talking about here? He's talking all kinds of, about all kinds of friends. He's talking about the friends who are already in the kingdom um, and have already passed on. He's talking about the poor. He's talking about blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? When the poor bless you, that goes a really long way in the kingdom, right? And then a little bit later on, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? So Jesus is very, very, very clear. The wealth that we have been given here, we have been given for a specific purpose. To use it to do good. To use it to do the will of God for the people um, that are around us and to win friends for us in heaven. Jesus continues and says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So very clearly, very clearly, Jesus is not telling us to fall in love with our money, to fall in love with our possessions, to fall into love with all the goodies that can come with it. He's telling us to be faithful and to be shrewd and to think ahead and to plan for the fact that very soon I'm going to find myself standing before the throne in the kingdom. And the treasure principle, this is all stuff we're reviewing from, from previous weeks, is very simply this. No one gets to take any of their toys with them. You know, like there's a bumper sticker that says that the, the person who dies with the most toys wins, right? That like, you know, I would offer a rebuttal and say the person who dies with the most toys is still dead. Right? You know, it doesn't matter how many toys you have, and you don't get to take any of them with you. And we gave lots of examples about that. But the treasure principle is simply this Jesus tells us, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So, having thought about all of that, finally, reviewing the last bit of, of stuff we talked about last week. This is the cure for materialism and the cure for greediness and the cure for selfishness is right here when it comes to money and affluence. St. Paul is telling us, tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and trust should be in the living God who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. 
By doing this, they will be strong, storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. And they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So, Sometimes when we have money, it's easy to put our trust in it. When I, I get a flat tire or something happens or whatever unforeseen life catastrophe happens, what do I do? I pull out my wallet. I don't get down on my knees. St. Paul is telling us, let us put our trust in God and not put our trust in money, which is going to be gone sooner or later anyways. Right? But notice St. Paul doesn't say here, let those who are rich know they're going to hell. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let those who are rich know that they're depriving the poor. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say, you know, it's a bad thing to have money. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say holiness is measured by, you know, how small your bank account is. He doesn't say that either. This is a principle which has unfortunately kind of crept in to the church, which is not right, which is not true. God doesn't care how much or how little money you have. He cares what you're doing with it. So if you want to have a lot of money, that's fine. But why do you want to have a lot of money? And what are your feelings towards money? And what are you doing with that money? That is what God is concerned with. But how rich or how poor you are, how many zeros there are at the end of the numbers in your your bank account, God does not really care too much about that so long as you are doing His will with all that He has entrusted you with because He will ask you what you've been doing with it. And this is something, a quote I absolutely love and, and I mentioned it last week and mentioned it again today, money isn't evil. It just makes you more of what you already are. If you're greedy, you just become more greedy. If you're generous, you become more generous. If you're anxious, you become even more anxious and worried about where your money's going to go, right? If you're easy-go-lucky, right, then you become even even more easy-go-lucky and you have even more security. So money isn't evil in and of itself. What is evil? What is evil is the love of money. So let us today, each one of us, while I'm talking, right? All of us kind of get distracted and our minds wander. When your mind wanders uh, today, ask yourself, what are my intentions? What are, what, what, is, what are the real desires of my heart when it comes to money? Where are my true and real desires? Are my desires aligned with the gospel and all the stuff that we've been talking about? Are they aligned with the, the advice? It's just plain good advice that Jesus tells us. It's, you don't need to be a Christian and you don't need to be spiritual and you don't need to be a saint and you don't need to take a vow of poverty for this stuff to make sense. It just makes sense. You don't take it with you. No one has ever taken it with them. 100% of people who have walked this earth have died or will die. And not a single one of them managed to take a penny with them. Right? So these are simple and very clear, easy principles to understand. Right? And you don't need to be a Christian to understand them. I beg you and I beg of myself that we take a moment now to just realign our thoughts, to do a U-turn in the way I think um, the, the way I think about money. We're going to go back to my good old friend Dave Ramsey that, um, that I was talking about not last week but the week before when we were talking about getting out of debt and staying out of debt. And he describes you know, the, 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 so the total money makeover money fitness plan, your finance fitness, um, right, in seven baby steps. So we covered the first two baby steps 
um, a couple of weeks ago. The first one was to save up $500. If your gross um, um, uh, household income uh, is less than $20,000 or below whatever is considered the poverty line here in Canada, then that can be $500. And the goal of this $1,000 is so that you don't use any more debt for anything that comes up in life, right? Um, at least not for the things that can be covered with $1,000 or $500, depending on what your, uh, what your income is. The second um, step was to pay off the debt. And the simple strategy for that was to list all of your debts from smallest to biggest. Not by the interest rate that you're paying, not by, but just from the smallest amount owing to the largest amount owing with their minimum payments. And we gave a little worksheet of how to do that a couple of weeks ago. And if you want it, that's great. And then what you do is you just start by working as hard as you can, collecting every penny in the house. And I told you guys our story and how I did exactly this. And if I found a $5 bill in my pocket, I would go to the bank and deposit $5 as, as, as nutty as that sounds. But I would go and I would deposit the $5 and every, every penny I had, I put towards our debt. And I just, I was like a madman and I was willing to sell anything in the house. And like Dave Ramsey's joke is just sell stuff, increase your income, sell stuff and keep selling stuff until the kids think they're next, right? That's uh, Dave Ramsey's joke, right? So. That was step number two, and it's called, the, it's called the debt snowball, because you pay off one debt, and then all the effort and energy you put into paying off that debt goes into paying off your next debt, of which you're also paying the minimum payments. So now you're paying everything you were paying to pay out the first debt, plus the minimum payments of this one. And when you pay out that one, you go to paying the third debt, which is everything you were doing to pay off the first one, plus the minimum payments of the second one, plus the minimum payments of the third one, right? And so in so doing, you get, you pick up momentum, and within a couple of years, almost every single person should be able to pay out all of their debt, which is less than 50% of your gross income. If you really put your mind to it, and we gave lots of examples of how God blesses us when we do what God wants, and we talked at length about how God does not like debt. So God will help you, I promise you he will, but we can't count on that in the sense that I have to own my debts, and if they're my debts and I incurred them, I need to own them and I need to deal with them and God will help me. I can't expect God to do the work for me. So now we're at, now we're at finishing off the, that's, we're continuing with the avalanche, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna complete, baby step three is to complete the emergency fund. So you have this emergency fund of $1,000 or $500, that's not enough. Right, because worse things happen than the alternator going out. Things like losing your job, things like somebody suddenly, unfortunately being disabled, such as all of these things. So the next step is to accumulate three to six months worth of your minimum expenses. So sit down, look at the budget that you made and ask yourself, what are the, our minimum expenses for one month? Multiply that by six and that gives you a cushion of six months. If you hate your job and you go there every day looking forward to the day you retire, I'm talk about retirement in a little bit. That's, forgive me, it's not a good way to live life, right? You accumulate this, you accumulate this emergency fund of three to six months, and then if you want to, you can quit your job and you have six months worth that you can live off of, right? If you lose your job, if I don't know what happens to you, right? 
then you have this you have this cushion once you've collected this um, this money usually for most of us that will amount to five to twenty five thousand dollars worth right this once you have completed baby step three an amazing thing happens you have a whole lot of peace you have a whole lot of peace because you know that you have been very thoughtful and diligent and a good steward of what God has blessed you with. And you have used what God has blessed you with to arrange yourself so that you're ready for those bad things that happen in life. And we talked last week and not that, you know, like not that I wish evil upon anyone, but statistics show that 79% of us, that's four out of five people, will have one major negative life event every 10 years, right? So, within the next 10 years, most people are going to go through something bad, unfortunately. Sorry, I know, I don't want to talk about this stuff, but it's true, right? So, you know, Murphy's Law, Murphy is coming, you know? Whether we like it or not, Murphy is coming for a visit. And so we have to be ready to deal with Murphy when Murphy gets here. It's going to rain. We know it's going to rain. So you just need to have an umbrella. Right? There's no sense in pretending that it's never gonna that it's never gonna rain. What do you do with the money once you have it? Make sure it's liquid. This is not an investment. We're gonna talk about that next. This is not money to put somewhere where you can grow it at really great interest rates. The problem with making this an investment is that investments go up and they go down. But over time, you know, the 30-year average is that they go up. So the plan is, that if you, if we, when we talk about investing, I'm all for investing and we're going to talk all about that. But this is not an investment because if the money goes down and you need it at that time to deal with a real and true emergency then you're going to say, well, I don't want to pull the money out because I want to wait for it to go back up. So what are you going to do? Where are you going to get the money? We go back to our credit cards and we go to our line of credit and we go back into getting into debt. So the money has to be liquid. It ha you can park it somewhere, you know, with a, with a 2 or 3 or 4% interest rate that <coughs> has no penalty for you to access it. And there's people here who know a whole lot more about money than me and they can give you lots of good advice and they can help you out with that. How much do you need? Three months or six months? Because I keep saying three to six months. If you're self-employed, if you're on a uh, one income uh, household, uh, or if you're single, or if you have an unstable job, or if your health is, you know, sort of up and down, or if you're commission only, all of these people should look at having a six-month emergency fund. If you have like a steady government job and you're a two-income household and so on, maybe you can consider a three-month emergency fund. If you're married or if there are multiple people in your household, then this is a discussion to have together. Whoever, whoever wants the largest emergency fund wins. So if I want the three-month and Mary wants the six-month, it's the six-month. Why? Because the purpose of the emergency fund, the purpose of all this stuff we're talking about, is to be free from the worry and the anxiety of what happens if I lose my job? What happens if we get pregnant? What happens if this? What happens if that? The whole point of this, all this series we've been doing for so long, is to be free of the shackles of worry and the pain that's associated with money so we can get to the fun stuff that you can do with money, which is to do God's will good stuff with money. 
This is also, last but not least, not a down payment for your home. If you want to buy property, I'm all for buying property. I'm a real estate junkie for those of you who know me well. This is not a down payment. Save this up, park it somewhere where it's liquid and easy to get to, and then, you know, baby step 3B, if you wish, is to save for a down payment. And you'd be amazed at how good you get at saving when, you get, when you've gotten really good at getting rid of debt. Because every time you pay off a debt, you get some positive momentum. You get excited. You get fired up. And you're so excited to pay off the next debt. Once you've paid all of those off, you start saving in your emergency fund. And you start seeing it go up. And that's exciting. And all of that really motivates us. Remember, our problem with money is not a, is not a, a, a math problem. It's not because you're bad at math or you're a bad mathematician. Our problem, most people's problem with money is a behavioral problem. And that's why we're discussing a behavioral solution. Some of you who are very um, smart in finances may find that some of the stuff I'm talking about isn't um, necessarily 100% the most... Uh, you know, the most savvy thing to do from a financial perspective. But it is the best thing that I've found that you can do from a behavioral perspective. And the, honestly, my problem with my finances is my behavior, not my ability to do math or to, you know, calculate compound interest. The next step is to invest 15% of your household income in retirement. And there's a whole bunch of different ways to do that. And I could get into a few things that I know a little bit about, but I don't like to talk about stuff that I'm not an expert in. Generally, you can divide up, you know, you can do this by continuing. And the way this works, by the way, this whole baby step process is all the energy that you're putting into paying the first debt then goes into paying the second debt. And then all the energy that was going into paying the first debt and the second debt goes into the third debt. And all of that until your debt is paid. Then all of that energy that you've accumulated and all of that momentum that you've accumulated goes into building the emergency fund. Then all of that momentum that you've done now that you've built up the emergency fund goes into investing 15% of your household income into retirement. So you see, it just, once you get going, Right? It gets exciting. One debt paid off, get, you pay the next debt off. You save the emergency fund. Now you're investing. Now you're seeing your money increase. This is exciting stuff. You're going to say, well, what about the kids? That's the next step. So Government of Canada, lovely as they are, offers the Canadian Education Savings Grant. The Canadian Education Savings Grant is basically they're willing to give you $7,200 over the uh, per child uh, for um, uh, uh, over a period of time. Basically, I calculated it out that if you invest up to about $2,500 a year into your RESPs um, over 14 and a half years, that amounts to $36,000. The government will give you, the government will give you $7,200 on top of that. So if you put about two hundred and shy of $210 a month in for the next 14 and a half years, you end up with 36,000. I didn't add the compound interest to this, right? And then the government is gonna give you a, a, a maximum of $500 a year up to a maximum of $7,200. That means that by the time your kid is 15 years old, if you start from birth, they'll, you'll have over $43,000 waiting for them, plus compound interest. All of this tax-free, so it gets exciting. It really gets exciting, right? 
one step at a time. All of this just one tiny baby step at a time, taking the momentum from one previous step and dumping it into the next one, and the momentum from that step and dumping it into the next one. The money that I was putting into my debts then goes into saving my emergency fund. The money that I was saving into my emergency fund goes into saving for my retirement until I'm saving 15% of my household income. And then once I hit that target of 15%, I start um, pouring money into the RESPs. I've maxed out what I'm gonna be able to get from the government. Next step, the next step is baby step six, which is to pay off your home early. People who have done this plan, and Dave Ramsey has been teaching this stuff for 20 years. People who do this plan pay off their home within 8 to 12 years, not a 25 or 30 year mortgage. Because now you're out of debt. You're investing 15% into your retirement. You have your emergency fund. You're saving for your kids' education, and, and you have momentum. What has changed? <laughs> What has changed is not my total monthly income. What has changed is me and what I'm doing with God's money, right? The sooner I, I pay off those debts, you know, whether it's your, the home or, you know, a massive student loan or whatever, but those debts that are larger than half of your gross income, this is the time to pay them, to pay them off. And this brings us to baby step number seven which is the most exciting and fun of all, which is to give. To take all that God has given us and to use it to give others. To start looking for who can I give this to? Who can I bless? How can I be a blessing in the lives of the people around me? At this point, you're financially fit. Think about it. Imagine it right now. Close your eyes if you need to. Savor, savor this. You have... $25,000 sitting as an emergency fund. You're completely out of you're completely out of debt. You're investing and you're seeing your 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 retirement secure with dignity and you you're saved up for your kids education. All of this puts us at huge risk. I'm so sorry to tell you. It puts us at huge risk. Proverbs 10.13 tells us that a man with money can be a man surrounded by walls. A man with money can be a man surrounded by walls. We don't want to wall ourselves in with our wealth, but we want to use the wealth that God has given us for all of God's purposes. Money can ruin your life or money can make your life great. It's the love of money that is the root of all evils. Right? So in all of this, I want to keep the humility. My debts have humbled me. I'm speaking very honestly and personally to you right now. My, my personal financial debts have humbled me. And I want to keep that humility for the rest of my life. I want for the rest of my life to remember that I was the guy who got myself into $66,000 worth of debt for no good reason. And I'm very capable of doing it again. Once you're fit, all you need to do is stay toned, right? And you stay toned by not having that third helping or that second piece of cake, by not forgetting that one day I was, I was financially unfit. One day I was falling apart. St. Isaac the Syrian describes spiritual maturity as this. Spiritual maturity is a man 
or a woman who is knows him or herself. Someone who, when they heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead, remember that the day before they were committing this and this and that sin. So neither are they spiritually elated um, and euphoric when God works miracles through them, nor do they fall in despair when... Um, when they fall in sin, but they know that they're able to stay even keel. The same can be said for us and for our money. And think about it. Think about it. If, if we people of God say we're going to leave all the money to the bad people. Because good people shouldn't have any money. So we give all the money to the bad people. What's that going to do to our world? Right? So God has designed for some, some saints we're wealthy and some saints we're poor. Right? God doesn't care whether we're wealthy or we're poor. He cares where our heart is. 80% of what I'm talking about is behavior and 20% is knowledge. I hope that some of the knowledge has come through and some motivation for, um, for this uh, uh, behavioral change has been given to you as well. God has a plan for you and for me, says Jeremiah 29. I love this verse from the Psalms that we pray. Um, the priest prays this every time he's preparing for a liturgy. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. A lot of us, when we look at our bank statements and we look at our credit card statements, we don't have peace. My visa statement does not speak peace to me. But I want to tell you the truth. God wants to speak peace to you and peace to me when it comes to our finances. He really, really does. But look at the next verse. But let them not turn back to folly. Right? So if you've made a step forward, if I've made a step forward in my finances, in being honest and true and with my finances, in doing what is right and good with my finances, let me not take a step back towards foolishness, no matter how tempted I am. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. God has glory set out for you and me. God has great, great things prepared for you and me in the domain of your finances, in the domain of my finances. Remember, money isn't evil. It just makes you more of what you already are. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.